to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt podcast. This is Jessica, and I'm just coming in quickly to introduce you to the amazing guest that we interviewed for today's episode. Today, we have Brandon Flannery. Brandon is an ex-pastor, ex-evangelical, and he's also an author, which is how we found him. Brandon wrote the book Stumbling, a sassy memoir about coming out of evangelicalism. I'll be putting the link for that in the show notes if you're interested in reading the book. It's fantastic, just like Brandon. There's also a few things I wanted to mention on the top of the episode. If you would like to support the show, there are now two different ways you can do it. You can go to patreon.com slash heaven in a miniskirt. There you will find access to our bonus episodes. We also just added all of our bonus episodes to Apple Podcasts. So if you use Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe through there. Don't subscribe to both because it's the exact same content, unless you love us a lot or something. (laughs) Secondly, I'm in the process of putting all of our audio onto YouTube. So if you enjoy YouTube and using YouTube, you can listen to our podcast on there. I'll put the link for that in the show notes as well. And lastly, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're using. It only takes a second for you, but it means so much to us. So thank you guys so much for doing that. And thank you so much for listening. And without further ado, please welcome our guest, Brandon Flannery. Welcome to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt. My name is Jessica. And my name is Sarah. So today we have a wonderful guest. Would you like to introduce yourself to the Miniskirt audience? Sure. Yeah. My name is Brandon Flannery. I am an ex-pastor, ex-missionary, ex-evangelical gay writer. I like writing around that intersection of spirituality and sexuality. I've been writing, I guess, like, I guess almost a decade now around just like openly sharing my story and excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We're really excited to have you. One of the reasons why we wanted to get Brandon on was because I read his book and absolutely loved it and related to so much of it. And we want to have queer voices. We want to have different kinds of perspectives. And I'm just so excited to be able to dive into things and talk a little bit about it. So I thought maybe, Brandon, you could start off by just giving a quick and dirty bio of your upbringing and what led you on the journey to writing the book. So I like to say that I drank deep of the evangelical waters. My flavor of Christianity was somewhere after speaking in tongues. So the people who have not been raising charismatic Christianity, that's where you speak gibberish and it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We have a whole episode where we get into the neuroscience of speaking in tongues if you want to check that out. Oh my God, I need to listen to this one. That's so good. I think it's like our third episode. So yeah, it was a good one. Oh, 
perfect. Okay, great. And then just slightly underneath like flaggers, like we'd have a flagger here or there, which is someone that dances yes. with a flag. <laughs> That's Sarah. That's Sarah hundred <laughs> percent. I never I never had a flag, but I was an action girl. An action girl? Wait, what do you mean? You know how those songs have action? Lord, I lift your name on high. Oh I'm so my glad God. to sing your praises. <laughs> Yeah, the 90s are full of that. <laughs> you came from heaven to earth to show. Yeah, remember? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, so I bad. I can't know. even finish it. That's so yeah. good. <laughs> so that's, and I like, okay, so going back to the whole bio situation, I was like literally raised in the church. My mom was the children's pastor in a number of different churches that we were at. My dad was a drummer in the church. So I spent probably more time at a church than out, I would say because we'd be there during the week, painting murals on like the nursery room, stuff like that. And then I loved it. I gobbled that shit up. Can I curse on this podcast? Is that allowed or not? Of course. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. oh, yeah. I <laughs> okay. think the only episodes we haven't sworn are when we have Christians as guests. You can't handle it. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. but like just a lot of time in church, I really did love it. And we can get into this later, but like, I'm really grateful for my queerness because I think that being a cis white man there's a lot of privilege i experienced especially because of my personality in evangelical christianity like it was a good match there's a reason that it took me a long time to come to terms with my sexuality and finally leave because the benefits for a long time outweighed the consequences obviously there's trauma that i can now like unpack and see i'm like oh that wasn't normal but in the midst of it i thought it was fine obviously minus the fact that i thought i was going to hell because of my attractions but other than that it was a great time so at the age of 18 i went to a cult bible school in texas it, since it was technically a cult, but it kind of was. Teen Mania Ministries Honor Academy. Out in the middle of East Texas, like there's a bunch of random ministries that are out there, like just all cloistered together in the middle of nowhere. Did a lot of crazy shit out there. Was planning on staying there because I was deep. Again, like I, I drank of the Kool-Aid and loved it. Came back to be a youth pastor for three years. Was a missionary with YWAM for a year. And then immediately after being a missionary with YWAM, that's where I really started to analyze what I believe critically and I think that like we can get into this also later but like doing research around why people are leaving a big reason is exposure to difference and living in Berlin and then living in India as a missionary I was having conversations with people that were different than me and it really exposed me to a lot but also my flavor of Christianity was about the miraculous sensationalism and so when I was praying for things and they weren't happening that was probably the beginning of the end before then there were some red flags I started to reflect on like abuse from leadership, like spiritual leadership, and then taking advantage of people and churning in and out of churches as a result of continual failings from people in leadership, paying to work for ministries and not seeing uh, an investment in myself while I'm giving so much. Did you tithe your student loans? I like, I've never, you, what do you mean? Like, oh, like, like give your 10% of your student loans to the church. Cause I went to a church that taught that students who are getting government loans or bank loans should tithe their student loans. Talk about financial yeah. abuse. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, I've never thought about this before, Sarah. And I did. I absolutely <gasps> no! did. I took my massive check that is loan money and entire 10% because of oh my God. it's like, that's not even your money. That is the craziest shit that anyone would be okay with that. I've never thought about that and how ridiculous that is. Better start writing a new book. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, just having an epiphany over here. And so how old were you when you left when you left the church? 
I start, well, that's turbulent because I feel like the deconstruction process is like up and down and circular and in and out. And so, but that process started when I was 24 and I am 33 now. So almost a decade ago. And my sexuality was also a huge catalyst for that. Cause while I started to doubt some things, the really the like final, the straw that broke the camel's back was I fell in love with a man. And it was the first time where I asked the question of like, I don't understand why this is bad. Because up until that point, I could disregard it as like, oh, well, sex is bad because purity culture. And and like I, I could fill in the blank as to why this could be wrong. And then I fell in love. I'm like, I didn't have answers. And that was like where I started to really analyze the, the text and what was around it. Then I started to think through things like why women can't lead. That's ridiculous. And then also why would God command genocide? That's also ridiculous. And why slavery is endorsed. And it just spiraled out from there. And I'd still come in and out of the church. I've like put things like in nice, cute little categories in my book for the sake of consumption. But like, it is like a level of back and forth and in and out. And it, it is, I think that there's no right or wrong way to deconstruct. It's like coming out in my opinion, where it's like coming to terms with an identity of what you're now claiming and holding on to. I just felt like the two journeys were so similar in the fact of like, even coming out didn't feel like this linear thing for me because like both were hard, but like, people are like oh well he's just sinning but now it's like oh shoot now he's not like he doesn't believe the right things maybe he could have been forgiven for his homosexuality but like he doesn't even believe the same thing as i do so he's definitely going to hell which one did you do first did you do coming out as queer or coming out as non-christian first or was it at the same time and by non-christian it could just be like ex-evangelical i don't know what your current beliefs are i would i would consider myself i'm not atheist in the sense of I don't think that there's nothing beyond me I just I'm so much more comfortable with the I don't know Mm -hmm. agnostic yeah and I know that and there's some things I've bumped into where I'm like this feels divine to me and that gives me comfort I'm not going to try to defend it or try to proselytize this to anyone else but for me there's elements of faith that I can take from multiple belief systems I've stolen some from Christianity since it's my place of origin, but also like exploring Taoism and exploring Buddhism. There's no right or wrong answer for me anymore. And that gives me a lot of permission. But to answer your question, I came out first and I'd found synthesis between being queer and being Christian. And there is that demographic out there. And there, I think there's a lot of beauty in that space because you've got people who are continuing to hold on to something in spite of experiencing so much pain and oppression and yet they refuse to let non-affirming christians steal this beauty that has served them and so i have a lot of compassion and praise for that space it just no longer serves me anymore but yeah so it came out first as queer in 2016 and then really started to like try to synthesize things that, but at, then i just kept bumping into more and more stuff where i'm like ah, i'm not cool with this like if it was just the queer issue I would probably still be like a Christian, but I, it allowed me to see behind the curtain of there's a lot of trash here and to steal the words of Jesus where he says, uh, you should look at something and judge it by its fruit. I just didn't see the fruit and not just currently, because there's a lot of, I think there's a big focus in evangelical Christianity on like, wow, it's so nationalistic. And I'm just like, babe, this has been that way for <laughs> thousands of years. It's yeah. called the Holy Roman Catholic church like there was an empire and then also like you have england who is using religion as a reason for conquering and also spain that was using religion for a reason for conquering so like the idea of 
a national identity being connected to faith is actually not a new concept. In fact, it's a tale of this time. And so like looking at the long history of Christianity, that was also a big breaking point for me because I'm just like, this isn't just new because of Trump. Trump is just empowering Christian bigots to be bigots out loud. But those feelings and those thoughts were there under the current the whole time. They just had someone that gave them permission and not have consequences. So yeah, that's, I would say that me saying I'm no longer a Christian I used that language probably starting a year ago or even okay. a year and a half ago. Okay. So even when I started writing this book, I was in a space of more of, I think evangelicalism is the problem, not necessarily Christianity. And so many of my friends, because of 2020 and because of Trump and because of Black Lives Matter and because of COVID and all these different things started to finally analyze their faith starting in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I started to have the same conversation on repeat over and over again with people who like had worked in mega churches, who I had lost contact with after coming out, who are coming out of the woodwork being like, how did you navigate this? What are your thoughts about this? Because I had already deconstructed before everyone because of my sexuality. And so I now was being asked all these questions and I was, to be honest, the book was, I'm just going to write my experience down. And then when my friends have questions, I can just give the book. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My motive with all that. And then it became like a little bit bigger than that, like getting on TikTok and sharing my experience and finding a publisher and all that stuff. But it really just started as I want my friends to hear my story, especially what was happening inside of me, because I don't like they didn't know that journey. And so if it helps them navigate their story, then it's a win for me. And and that's why I started writing and processing that. So long oh. answer to your question. That's typical of me. I apologize, but it's probably <laughs> no, amazing. I, there were so many things that like you, you got me really thinking about the history of Christianity in the way that like, like you said, like we think it's nationalistic now and we think it's extreme now, but it, this is a silly example, not a silly example, but this is an example of something I've been researching, which is the Salem witch trials. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have an upcoming episode and mm, I love it. it's, it's alarming and it's, yep. It's no different than what's going on now. It's just that they were mm-hmm. empowered and they just, they did hang these women who were outspoken yeah. and who they just yep. didn't like. Like, this is not new. Like, none of no. this is new. Yeah. It's yeah. that people yeah. just don't feel like doing the research. And and I get it. Like, you start deconstructing, your whole world turns upside down. Yeah, It's Absolutely. like such a domino yes. effect when you deconstruct. And I'm even yep. thinking about, like, today in Canada, it's a national holiday called Truth and Reconciliation, and it's recognizing survivors of residential schools and the victims of residential schools that were oftentimes mm. run by the church. Do you church. know about the residential yep. schools here? Yeah. yeah. I'm imagining it's similar, like, or we're talking about, like, native populations that were kidnapped and put into yeah. schools and put into by schools. white people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my whole thing is, is I, to steal uh, words of a friend of mine, Kevin Garcia, they have a book named after this and it's Bad Theology Kills. And I don't care what you believe anymore. I really don't. What I do care about is how that belief manifests in our world and the impact it's having on the world. And at the end of the day, we can say, oh, well, especially this is a catchphrase that Christians love to say is broken people break people and i'm just like (laughs) and they're not real christians that one always drives me up a wall because i'm just like no there were people kidnapped native children forced them into a school removed their beliefs because they genuinely believed it was the good right and godly thing to do with the book that they had when you start to reflect on the history of christianity and also just events in the bible 
I think it was yeah. similar for me, Brandon, in my deconstruction where it's like, you notice one thing and then you can't all notice yep. it. And that kind of gets yes. put aside. Yep. And then like slowly over time, that pile gets bigger and bigger. And then what you have left in the pile that you're keeping is so small. It's the same thing about leaving a cult. You hear somebody escaping from the cult. It's the shelf, right? They put all their doubts on the shelf and you put it away. And then eventually your shelf breaks. There's no way to prevent that. And it's the exact same with deconstruction. And that's why like there's just too many parallels between some Christian denominations and cults that you're like, well, some Christian denominations are cults. I truly think it's it's a, a semantic privilege. And what I mean by that is like the only reason that certain flavors of Christianity are not labeled a cult is they've got the privilege of the majority. But there's plenty of overlap. But and also the privilege of how long they've been around. Yeah. Yes, that's true, too. Absolutely. Because right, if you've been yeah. around for thousand years it's like well you're not a cult you're a religion this is just a semantic privilege like that we're choosing a different word it's just a current thing that's been incubating for a while where i'm just like most religions if you're comparing them to a cult they follow the same exact definition mm-hmm. the only thing is they don't have privilege of numbers and uh longevity that's longevity that's the word i was looking for that's perfect <laughs> Absolutely. You said it better than I could. This is great. This is why we have guests on. (laughs) One thing I am really curious to hear your thoughts on, Brandon, was like, there's so many churches that are like, we're loving, we accept everyone. But then the Mm -hmm. fine print is we allow gay people to come, but they can't serve in positions of leadership. They can't serve working with children. It's like this false sense of security for people. And they don't talk about sexuality from the pulpit. It's really just like, they get people to come in and there's a lot of people that might go to that church that aren't aware of the views until like something happens where a gay person is not allowed to serve. How do you, like, what are your thoughts on Christians navigating those spaces or like that tension of people that go to churches like that, that are queer affirming and are they awful people for going to churches like that? Yeah. It's a really interesting timing. Obviously it is something that's like in my book and I've thought through and like have written about, but like it's come to the head recently with this mega church I grew up in one of the pastors reached out to me and was asking how we can better serve LGBTQ people. And I truly believe that this pastor, she actually reached, there's a lot of pastors. She's not the main pastor, but I actually really do believe that she reached out in good faith. She read my book and like opened up the conversation with like, I want to apologize because she knows that those, that church was a part of my story and genuinely wanted to ask. And we had a very direct, but I think honest and kind conversation where she's caught in theology again to quote my friend bad theology is harmful it can hurt people and even kill people but with where she's sitting she's sitting with this text and she believes that she can't affirm a queer marriage and where they land is they she believes that god made someone queer but it's not right for them to act on those feelings so my questions were what where is this on your website so that people can have a informed choice to come to your church and what conversations are you having around this and what is your actual plan when a queer person approaches you for a marriage since you say that you're welcoming approaches you to volunteer a queer kid comes out in your youth group like what are your pragmatic steps because she said that well our pastor really wants to make this about people and conversations and i just stopped her there you and you can hide in conversations rather than taking your stance and putting it on your website. I go, I know that may sound like you're actually causing harm, but you're actually causing more good because the people who are comfortable with what you believe are making an informed choice to come to your church rather than getting blindsided, rather than having a, what I call a bait and switch. 
because yeah. you have this language especially for queer people of faith who are just coming to terms with this they hear we welcome all and they get really excited if you are a queer person currently analyzing if you should go to a church unless they have the language they are affirming I would strongly caution you against going to that church just mm -hmm. being very frank if they've done the work if they have looked at not only what their theology is and how they can be affirming and also be good allies they will use that language of affirmation but it's your choice like i i think that there's some people who are just like well i want to be a part of the conversation and shifting like a church from the inside out especially they grew up in it yeah sure i think that can be taxing i i think it's very similar for any minority group that is forced to be the educator all the time your church can read a book your church can go to so many resources. One resource that I love is the Reformation Project. They have a library of videos and books. And if your pastor is actually willing to pick up a book and read, maybe stick around. If they're not willing to even do that for you, I would say get the hell out of Dodge. Um, it's how I would be very frank with queer people and quote unquote loving pastors that would be my very direct conversation with them i mean the hard part too though is that you have queer people in some churches that like one organization that we follow and talk about a lot i was is just called... gonna mention it i'm sarah i was like i need to I stole it. this <laughs> have you heard of living out D oh wait 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 wait, wait. Living out it's a uk organization yeah. yeah so the church that i used to be involved with has a lot of people that are like on the board and founded mm -hmm. so i used to be involved with new frontiers church which was founded in the uk and that's where oh, I worked okay. out of for a year. I've heard of that a few times, actually. Yeah, and so they have like a rainbow in their logo and it's called living out. And that language, like, don't even get me started on how that language misrepresents their mission. Because like the second you go on there, you realize that they're like, yeah, queer people exist. And like, maybe you won't change, but like you can, you just be, be celibate. celibate. <laughs> and they have all these videos of people being like, yeah, I realized that like a gay relationship, just it's not the same and it's not God's design. So it's way better to be mm -hmm. in a loving church family and like single. As you were talking, Brandon, I brought up the website because I was like, maybe we should show him one of the stories. <laughs> well, so what's interesting is I was trying to do due diligence with my most recent article that I've put out. And it's what any pastor can do, even if you're not affirming to help support queer people. And I mm -hmm. lay this out. I loved it. I read it. Oh, thanks. But I tried. I stumbled on living out thinking that like well maybe this is like so there's different when a side church, b and all that yes exactly so for those that don't know it's like you have side a side b side y side x and so i lay that out on the article but in short side a is affirming side b is celibate but you're like it's okay to identify as lgbtq side y is you're going to struggle with this for eternity it's well maybe not eternity you're supposed to die and then apparently get all the relief but like it's you're crossed a bear and side x is trying to be straight and i thought that living out would be a resource for for maybe why and i was trying to support every single one where it's like i'll give a resource for all of them except for side x because i can't in good conscience like recommend someone trying to go through conversion therapy as like someone that's been through that. And so, but living out, like I had a side B friend that recommended, which is like, you're gay. You can use the language of I am gay, but I'm choosing to be celibate. Although it's not really much of a choice. And he recommended them. And I was looking on the website. I'm like, this does not feel that way. Like you have stories of people changing their sexuality of like ending up in heteronormative relationships. And that's where I'm just like, they're bisexual they're bisexual that's what that is <laughs> it's wow bi erasure even exists within christian communities wow 
flabbergasted. <laughs> and so I, I definitely, as I dug into him, because I, again, wanted to do, if I was going to recommend a resource, wanted to understand it. And I definitely had a hard time with that. I ended up putting it, I think, in the article, but I did a little like asterisk caution, but I'm not a big fan of them personally. No, we are not either. We talk about them like literally every episode it comes up and we've watched their videos and have been very sad after. Like, I don't even want to dunk on this person because I'm just sad. Yeah. They're like, I don't need to be in a relationship because I have my friends and my friends have kids. So I just hang out with my friends and I don't mm. need love. And I'm like, oh no. I'm all for people having the choice to do whatever they want with their lives, but you're right. Yeah. It's not a choice. <laughs> Eternal damnation yeah. or being celibate and never, and this is not people that are asexual. These are people that would be very happy, you know, if that wasn't in scripture to go and have a meaningful, loving relationship with a partner of the same sex. And I, so I have for any of my like followers who are side B, because I do have friends in my life that are still side B. And I have a friend that actually made this conversation with another one of my friends who used to be side B. And he was in that tension of he was only choosing, in quotation marks, celibacy because of the fear of hell. And so my friend who's still currently side B sat him down and was just like, if you truly believe that, I actually don't think that this is a choice and that if you are going to be celibate, it really should be a choice. And so to affirm like my side B friends, some of them actually do believe that like you being in a same-sex relationship while not holy or ordained by God is not going to sentence you to hell. And so like they are like big advocates for the idolization of, of marriage within church. And I would say even like culturally, like we love and like we view it, I think, as improperly as like this end all problem solver when it creates plenty of problems. Holy fuck, isn't that the truth? Yeah, <laughs> so true. You were talking about something that I wanted you to expand on. Conversion therapy. It was conversion yeah. therapy, yes. Sarah, one mind. We're on one the same mind. fucking wavelength. I knew because I saw you being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't get into telling Jessica too much about your book. You mentioned that you went through conversion therapy. Is this something that you're comfortable talking about? First yeah, of all, because yeah, yeah. it sounds very traumatic. Can you explain when you went through that and what that looks like? I know. So you talk about it in your book. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, actually, to be honest, that's not one I really hit too hard because here's the deal is I think that conversion therapy can be a lot more sneaky than people would like to admit. I think that the one that we like to acknowledge the most is like psychological behavioralism where you use like shock or punishment to retrain a brain is the thought to like look at like the female body and view it as a positive thing. And then when you look at like for me as a gay man, look at a naked male body and now it's punishment and bad and using behavioralism psychology to train the brain to function that way. So I had two experiences that were not traumatic like that, but I do think that there's still, there's a sinister, uh, sinisterism, a, the noun of sinister that <laughs> lurks there. I'm a writer. It's fine. Um, and I think, <laughs> So the two that I had, one was for me with my flavor of Christianity, it was not out of the question to believe that if you had enough belief, things could change, that mm -hmm. God could come through on the prayer. Like we have stories like Abraham and Isaac, this man waited over a hundred years to have a kid. And so the long suffering belief of I'm going to hold on to this promise is not uncommon. And so it's very part of the narrative of Christianity. And so holding on to that Jesus coming back with your dying breath is a part of like the New Testament Christian experience. And so that idea is not 
uh, absurd. And so for me to believe, well, maybe the right woman will come along or maybe if I pray hard enough, my, my brain will change. Well, I wouldn't say brain back then. I would have been like, my heart will mm. love what Jesus loves. You know, Ezekiel 36, like I had all the verses and like, I'd pray oh. for it and believe in it. And so I had a therapist at first, my very first therapist ever was a conversion therapist one. And I like lasted two sessions and walked out because I can be a pretty stubborn human being, even when I was back then. And then when I came around to it, I found this older lady who was no longer licensed to her belief was that if I forgave my father, I would become straight for things that I'm not sure that he actually did. Like, it's just like, you're trying to like dig up things. It's very Freud, like Freudian psychology to be like daddy issues, mommy issues. Yes. And like, I do think to an extent that's true, like in the sense of our parents do create the formidable moments of our lives as our psyche is being developed and our personality is being developed. Like things like the Enneagram are completely based on the fact that you believed a lie that you interpreted, whether intentionally or unintentionally by your parents and built a whole entire personality around it. And so it's like, sure, our parents are going to be involved in how our psychological development happens, but to like, like stem it down to, well, you're not really connected to your dad and you need to forgive him for something that you need to try to find. Um, and maybe you're too connected to your mom. This is all talking from a gay man's perspective was the first conversion experience that I had, like trying to convert my sexuality. I didn't, spoiler, didn't take, but then <laughs> after being a missionary, that was when I was a youth pastor. So like me trying to like fix my sexuality while taking care of kids, terrified that like, if I'm found out, like I'm going to be called a pedophile because I work with kids. Like, again, oh not attracted yeah. to children. I'm only attracted <laughs> yeah. to men. And yet I would be lumped in that way because of the fact of people's un messed up understandings of what it is to be queer. And so that was my first one. And then my final one was um, in this space of starting to deconstruct my faith and coming in terms of my sexuality. I actually ended up meeting with Ted Haggard, who was my old pastor. This is the part I was thinking about. Yeah, because <laughs> this is in the book. So this would be like the one part that I do touch on. And it is Ted Haggard was uh, found out with a scandal where he got a, I believe it was just like a, officially like a hand job from a massage therapist up in Denver and also bought meth off of him. But apparently he didn't smoke it. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was so much worse than the hand job. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> It's no problem. He yeah. just bought some meth. Just an yeah, just bought some meth. And a little asterisk. So he got kicked out. He was removed as a pastor from this, like, my youth group was, my Sunday morning was 15,000. Whoa. So big ass church wow. that he made. Yeah. And so he was removed overnight. Not only was asked to not come back to the church, but was asked to leave the state. So he moved to Arizona. I went to school with some of his kids and like, it was just a whole big mess. Eventually he starts a new church for some reason, end up going there. I went and checked it out because I'm a very curious person. This also is a con continual theme in my book. Sometimes it's beneficial, sometimes it's not. And I went to this church and I started meeting with him one-on-one, -on -one, asking questions about his experience, cornering him with some intense questions of like, are you going to do it again? Um, stuff like that. <laughs> and so, but like we had these conversations where he literally recommended textbook psychology books around brain plasticity. And this is around the time that like, I think brain plasticity like we really started to first understand like early 2000s if not even 2010s and like this is now 2014 so not that far into the science of it but we know that like with stroke patients like the brain is able to remap and we didn't realize that until we, we were able to do brain scans and so then his idea taking these thoughts while the brain changes itself every day it's very plastic we could change our sexuality and there is research that in this is where he'd pull us from is there is research around 
our kinks can ebb and flow based off of brain plasticity, but there is a rigidness to sexuality. And that's not something he wanted to acknowledge. It's just like, well, that's just because they're doing lip service to those liberals. Um, <laughs> but like we, we can see like, yeah, sexuality is, we now know sexuality is a spectrum. It can like, there's a level of ebb and flow, but for the most part, it's pretty, pretty fucking stubborn. But I would try to change my sexuality with Ted Haggard, which included like, masturbating to straight porn and like things like that where it's just like this pastor's just like hey so let's do real talk this is what you need to do so that happened that i did experience that so it wasn't like the based off of the i don't know hbo documentary of a kid that kills himself because he had electricity going through his brain but i do think that this flavor of conversion therapy is actually still very at large i would say and it can't be done and insurance claims and stuff like that because of certain state rules luckily but like it's still happening like i know people who would never say this out loud but there's a deep belief still in conservative evangelical charismatic christian spaces that if you pray hard enough if you do the right psychology if you heal from a wound from your father if you connect with men then you will heal your sexuality even though we have story after story of that not being the case like exodus is a classic example where it was this conversion ministry. Isn't the president like happily married to a man now? Correct. So it like. <laughs> Which is good. I'm really like, happy for him. Yeah. Ooh, and what? the fact that he what? took ownership. Yeah. And he took ownership. So I think it was in 2008 or 10 around there. I was doing these chats like with this organization again, quietly as a teenager. So back in like early 2000s and like trying to fix my sexuality and like had lost connection with the organization but yes like around i want to say 2010 they closed their doors and publicly apologized saying we made this promise that we could cure your sexuality and the data is just not there and this is an organization that devoted their entire existence to that mission wow. and they were still seeing failure and sure there'd be some success stories but the argument there and even from the leadership would be yeah, we've seen some quote unquote success stories, but again, sexuality is a spectrum. So these people are probably not as rigidly on the side of homosexuality, like pure same sex attractions. And they took ownership of that. And yes, to bring up your point, Sarah, the founder of it is now in a gay relationship, happily married. I think, I don't know if he's still a Christian or not, but it was all in the basis of from a faith perspective. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. I think like one thing that is so interesting is that like, your pastor because masturbation is like such a no-no so like yeah. it's such a topic where it's like no that's sinful like I remember one of my ex-boyfriends him and his roommate had like they were accountability partners and they would send each other spoken word poetry when they had the desire to masturbate are they gay <laughs> no I don't think so but like it's very like I think that in even a lot of like heterosexual spaces within church, like some weird shit goes on because there's yes. so much yep. pent up hormones and like things yes. are divided so much by gender. I actually, there are seasons of my life where I would have identified, now I have language for it, where I would identify as asexual. And it's because of what you're bringing up, Sarah. And that's, there's, a, I make the joke that in purity, evangelical spaces are some of the gayest spaces I've ever experienced because of that pent-up energy. There were seasons of my life that I truly thought I was cured of my homosexuality, as if it's something to be cured, because I was getting these deep emotional and even physical, to an extent, yearnings 
in sideways ways, especially like at my Bible school, like you have to take a vow of celibacy for a year. You can't date anyone. And so like these men have this pent up energy. They're running around the dorm naked. We're cuddling with each other. We're sharing like these intimate things. And so my gay repressed heart is thriving in this space. (laughs) Um, And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not gay at all. As I'm spooning (laughs) another man. You're like, this is the best year of my life. (laughs) Yeah, it really was (laughs) because it was just like, it was, it was satisfying these cravings in a sideways way. And so that's something that I point out all the time. It's just like, I was great at purity culture because it was a great, I was winning. Oh, I was so good at not kissing guys. (laughs) She's like, it's so weird that people are struggling with this. I don't even want to kiss this guy that I'm dating. I literally thought the the second girlfriend ever had, that was the first one that I actually got physical with because the first one couldn't, she was holding it off. And so I had this big, even tension inside myself. I was saving my first kiss for marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, I... And I was just like, you know what, someone, I had this, there was this book, Christian book that was called Sheet Music, and it was talking about how you can't go from zero, which was really cool from a Christian perspective, but still like from, there are other issues I have with it, but it was like, you can't go from zero to 60 if you're engaged with someone, you can't just expect Mm. to be sexual with them that night and you've never done anything with them before. Wow, that's actually quite progressive. I know. And so it was just this whole thing of like, if you're engaged, like you should start revving up the engine, so to speak. And I just remember thinking that I'm like, I should kiss my girlfriend. So I like took my girlfriend to this like waterfall in Colorado Springs. It was midnight. The moon's oh my God, overhead. you're such a church boy. Like it ha- it's all, it's all planned out. The fucking 100%. Yeah. It has to be this epic, like intense thing. And I'm just like, Anna Elizabeth Poole, will you be my first kiss? Oh my God. And like, I just remembered imagining like fireworks and all this other shit that you see in the movies and like we kiss and like I'm just like fixated on the fact of like her teeth felt funny was like the thing that was going through my head and that should have been like the 20th sign that I was a homosexual to be fair though even as a straight woman it's sometimes I would kiss people and be like really like that's it but it's just weird how like how intimate (laughs) details of your relationship in high school just end up in your youth pastor's office like oh, I'm sorry for I know yes. I bring this story up all the fucking time but like Jessica like called me once crying and she's like me and current boyfriend are here and like we have our bible and we're praying but like I touched oh, his penis when we were making out and then like oh. then I come over to her house and of course like I pray and then we like we talk and then we're like we really need to go to the pastors we need to go to the pastor so I'm I don't know how I got inserted to being like in the pastor's office with you and ex-boyfriend while you're talking about touching his dick. Like, I just want to say my mother listens to this podcast and we've told this story a couple of times and she's like, what the hell <laughs> what was going on in my house? I know. Like, well, the thing not. is like, I, like I was the one that brought Jessica into the evangelical church and into like mm-hmm. the drinking the intense Kool-Aid of us. Gays are great at that. We're the best. We are the most fervent. <laughs> Yeah. Bring all your friends to suffer with you. No. So my family, I was raised like Catholic, not super Catholic and really stopped going to church around the time that Sarah brought me into church. And so my, when I left the church, the relationship with my family wasn't any different because they weren't involved. And it wasn't until this, this past year, when we started the podcast that they realized how damaging those years were for me. And then this is actually a good segue because I wanted to chat about in terms of coming out as gay or coming out as not Christian. Mm-hmm. I think we we did discuss this before, but what damaged your relationships more? 
do you think? Was it coming out as not Christian? I think you did say that, but like, how did you handle that? And how are you handling that? I would say that the Christian one, because it's like newer-ish, a few things. Number one, me coming out was probably more painful because that was more of the weeding out because for a lot of Christians, you cannot be gay and Christian. So like at that point, I was no longer a Christian for a lot of my Christian friends. So like the two... I would say the first was more painful, I think just because of order of operation, not necessarily because of me being queer, but it's because in so many psyches on an ethical level with Christians, you can't be gay and Christian. So I had already in their mind left the faith, okay. even though I'm over here reading my Bible, going to gay Christian conferences, going to different churches, trying to foster a relationship that most people, and this is something that I wish more Christians would understand because I think that not like, it, do I want to give them this play? Maybe I do. Like, I think if more Christians would recognize that and affirm that in their queer peers that are like trying to figure it out in their congregation, I think a lot more would stay. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot end up leaving because they're caught in this tension of like, man, I want to keep my faith in spirituality and like what I was raised with, there was some good there. And they're really trying, but like they're still so deeply persecuted and they're, they're too Christian for gay people and they're too gay for Christian people. And they're so isolated and alone, except for a bunch of other queer Christians that are all trying to fucking figure that shit out. And I think it's a very mm -hmm. painful space to be in. 100%. And there's this chapter in particular that's like very special to me in the book where I talk about one of those spaces and I was just weeping because we're in this gay christian conference it's the i think one of the largest in the world it's called qcf it used to be called gay christian network and we're just doing communion it's not that big of a deal but i am sobbing because i'm looking around this room and i'm seeing people that had every right to say fuck this shit you guys treated mm -hmm. me terribly you do not look like jesus i'm getting the fuck out of here and yet there is this, whether it be stubbornness, determination, faith, whatever it may be, clinging on to saying, you know what, in spite of my persecutors, I'm going to hold on to this. And in spite of my shade that I throw towards Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, like, I think there is something to be said of that beauty of like, and it could be bad. Like someone could be like, well, there it's like a Stockholm syndrome. It, it could be viewed that way. 100%. Uh -huh. But I see like these people that are enduring and because they deeply believe something that it, they're even pushing through this intense pain. And I agree. Like, I think it is a, as a person that lived in that space for a while, it is a very traumatizing and difficult space to remain in because of the backlash from both sides. So yeah, I, I think that for me, it, yeah, uh, the backlash mainly came from when it came out because it was already in their minds, I'm out. And so I have, in the last year, been more open. I had some friends that I reconnected with from Bible school that's also shared in the book, and it was a very beautiful healing moment. And as I started to sh share content online, like th they just like started to pay attention to like even the littlest details. And it, it, it was huge for me because I felt so unseen because so many friends, in my opinion, I had some loud friend breakups but all, most of them it just like they went on mute or like a slow diminishing sound is how I describe it and um when they came back and they were reconnecting with me it was just this really beautiful healing moment but some of them were like hey like I noticed that on TikTok you're not using the hashtag ex-Christian like 
you to identify as not Christian anymore. And at first, and, I, and this was true at the time I go, no, but like my content is not just for ex-Evangelicals, it's for ex-Christians, it's for ex-Mormons. Like there's a lot of shared overlap and I'm just trying to find the algorithm, blah, 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 yeah. blah. But then as I started to bump into other people and hear their stories and then continue to like dig through this stuff, I'm like, yeah, like I, I don't anymore. And actually I've had a lot more compassion as weird as it is with leaving Christianity, probably the one person that there's one text message that the person will rename anonymous because I can try to be a compassionate human being. But I said, yeah, I just, I don't want to see this type of link anymore. Please stop sending them to me. And they're just like, and I said, I like it. I'm no longer a Christian. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me anymore. And then they were like, well, you were never a Christian. And I'm just oh, like, gay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you looking at our comment section right now? Because that's basically what it is. I'm sure you, every oh, time man, yeah. you must be abused online all the time. We're abused online a lot. <laughs> I don't feel anything anymore. And you're just like, wait a second. <laughs> you get it. I just delete it's- those type of comments. I used to yeah. try and engage with people because like, yes, yeah, I do like a part of me in good faith is like, I was that person like on mm-hmm. our Christian, like mm-hmm. on Reddit mm-hmm. that was like trying to figure things out and deconstruction for me, deconstructing was like a decade. So I get it. I get that it can be, it's like a seed and like, it's the snowball effect it's rolling. Yeah. But then I don't know, then you realize that there's just so many shitty people out there too. that like, they don't actually want to have a conversation. There are people, people come in and they just say, Jesus loves you. And I, great. That's fine. Those aren't the comments that I'm. I always just heart those ones, or I say like "thank you," or like "he loves you too." Like I don't know. Great. Like, but also then people are like, "You're a fat, ugly bitch," or they just somehow every post that we have, regardless, like most of them don't relate to trans people, but it always goes back to hormones and kids. Of course. And like we're just like, how? What's that about? Like, why are we talking about this? Well, it's my thing. Is like, it'll happen all the time where I'll bring up something about the Bible, and they'll be like, "Oh, well, you're gay," so it doesn't. I'm just like, okay. Like we're just like that is a lot fallacy yeah <laughs> well and i'm just like if you're gonna throw shade at me i don't really fucking care to be quite honest but like what as soon as you start attacking people in my comments that's when we have a problem and i will report your ass and delete your ass like i very low threshold for that shit yeah and i think for us like looking at the comments like mental health wise it was just like i just couldn't and like on occasion yeah, i'll look yeah, and i'll yeah. see things and i'm like oh anti-semitic oh anti-lgbtq like yeah. you name it and i find it it's just really hard because, you know, you're putting yourself out there and you're like, I want to create this space for dialogue because I do want to have conversations with people that yeah. don't see things the same way. And I'm like, one thing I love about your book, Brandon, and just about the way you put yourself out there, I feel like you're so gracious. And by ma- like mm-hmm. making posts about like how you can be better as a pastor for LGBTQ populations, mm-hmm. even if you're not affirming, I'm like, man that's some Jesus shit right there. Like (laughs) you're sending so much grace to these people who like a part of me inside is just like angry and is like, fuck you. Mm. You don't deserve that grace because you're hateful Mm. and you create a Mm. horrible place for people within your congregation. And you're telling beautiful human beings that they're going to go to hell for loving who they love. Mm. Like, fuck you. I have zero tolerance. And so you guys have a lot more tolerance than me. So I'm very, um, I'm but like, very how do you, you like, how do you do that? Like how, cause I'm so angry. Like it makes me so mm-hmm. angry and I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. How do you do that? What, what is your routine, your mental health routine? <laughs> I think there's a lot there, but I think the first thing is that anger is a beautiful and important. And I would even like, maybe this is too religious of language, but I would say holy like emotion, like all of them are important. Sadness, happiness, excitement, anger. I think that 
culturally and i don't know how this is up in canada although you guys all seem very nice so maybe it's similar like even more up there but like the idea of befriending anger and seeing it as your ally i think is super important and i think that when we are coming to terms with church pain deconstruction uh, manipulation these things that have happened it's this delayed response right because it happened to us and we thought it was a good thing and then we start unpacking it and we're recognizing, man, there's a lot of shit that happened to me and it is good and right and normal for your body to come online and say, this isn't okay. Like your fight or flight response to activate because it's like, I need to keep myself safe. Like I didn't see it. I didn't see it because I don't want to be conned again. I don't want to be uh, deceived again. And so it makes a lot of sense that for a while, like for anyone that's going through this process, like to have so much grace and compassion for yourself, because one, the church isn't going to, so you might as well as a big <laughs> fuck you to them. And then two, because it's natural. It is so natural because your body is trying to protect you. And so it makes a lot of sense that you're going to be anxious and you're going to be on edge and you're going to be angry because your body is doing its job of trying to keep yourself safe. And so for me, my work was owning that anger, befriending that anger, being thankful for that anger. So that was one part. And then once I had done that, I recognized that there are certain things where that anger was no longer necessarily serving me. And so part of me moving to Atlanta, which is recent, February, I just picked up and moved, is because Colorado Springs is very evangelical. Mm. It's got five military bases. It's got like hundreds if not thousands of parachurch organizations lots of churches and so i knew there's a moment where my anger because it needed to came online with this woman where she made a comment that was not even that offensive it really wasn't like it wasn't done in bad faith i had a friend that had just stopped going to church for the first time in his life it was a big deal he's at brunch with me and a couple of other friends and this girl who's homeschooled, she's working for a nonprofit, like one of these religious organizations in town. Her first question out of her mouth was, what church do you go to? And like I, my anger came online and I think that was also appropriate because I was being defensive of my friend to make sure that he felt safe with his first Sunday not being at a church. But maybe I would say my reaction was a little strong <laughs> and it was, I slammed my plate down and I said, Jesus fucking Christ, that's your first goddamn question. Yay. To the stranger. <laughs> but you know, in, in her world, like that's just it's so normal because everyone yeah. she interacts with is Christian. So how did the rest of that conversation go? I love that you just yeah. well, the whole table went silent. And like again, I think that I can honor myself in the sense of I was looking out for my friend and there's an anger that's coming up online, not just for him, but also for myself. And so like I can honor that and give grace to that and recognize I think my internal bruises need some space. And so I was like, it's just that whole thing of like, if you, you know, have a bruise, you're very hypersensitive and you're like very aware of what might be touching it. If you continue to bump it in places and I was just bumping it all the time in Colorado Springs. And so for me, yes, befriending anger. And I would say getting space for that bruise to heal. It was another thing. And then my third thing would, I would also say is I needed to create an internal settling and foundation inside of myself, especially around my queerness, because for a long time, it felt like losing an argument with someone because I had not done the work shook me on such an intense, deep level emotionally, because then it was like, oh, well, shit, maybe I'm wrong and I am going to hell. So until I had done the internal work myself and someone else's opinion actually didn't matter, 
I was able to sit in those conversations more. So those would be my three like recommendations for people is like it, one befriend your anger. Cause it's so fucking important and it is serving you until it's not like, but like befriend it first, give it time and give it grace first. And it's a balancing act. So then two, it would be like, you might need to take some fucking space. And then three, you have to do that work inside of yourself. Um, otherwise that anxiety comes up because you don't feel safe inside of yourself because you haven't made yourself safe yet. Like you mm-hmm. haven't made that safety inside of yourself. So the external safety becomes paramount until you create that internal safety. So those would be my three recommendations for people who are moving right. through that space. That's yeah. amazing advice. It's interesting because I'm not moving through deconstruction as much anymore. It's been a long time. Yet my anger is higher than it's ever been. And mm. I think a lot of it is to do with fear and fear mm-hmm. of Christian mm-hmm. nationalists. But then you see their anger and their anger is also just fear of people like us. So I don't want someone to change my world. I don't want it to be like the handmaid's tale because mm. of Christian nationalism. And they don't want, I, I don't know what they don't want, but they don't want whatever we want. Which- they, I can tell you a lot of what they don't want. <laughs> you don't have to. I think I know. And this is where I just get like really angry at fucking media because like, I do think that those extremes are absolutely fucking out there, mm-hmm. but I think it's a echo chamber circular loop that like, it wasn't that angry, but then I don't know if you haven't seen it's older now, but it's still so good. But the social dilemma oh, yeah. on like yeah, how yeah. like social media and even Google is like refining and echoing and getting louder with the algorithm. And so like to understand that like it is getting louder and louder because there are media channels and not just news channels, but also like we ourselves. Something even for me, it's like I will throw shade at Christianity, but I've noticed inside of myself that I think that there's even a caricature that's not quite real for the sake of the algorithm and how the algorithm has even changed me mm-hmm. where it's like, I can sit down across a beer and have a conversation with a Christian and not blow up at them. Like we can actually have a very decent conversation, but if you watched my TikTok in particular, you would not think that, but it's because there's yeah. an algorithm that you're trying to feed. I do think that we have to be, it's not going to get us a lot of views and it's not going to like grow our platforms. But I think that we need to really start thinking responsibly with the content that we're creating and the platforms that we have, because while I think anger is helpful and fear can be helpful, all those emotions are helpful. I do think the biggest emotion right now for a lot of people is fear and it's making us that we can't talk to each other. It's so polarizing. Our most viral videos are definitely the most sassy and dividing videos. And you're right. I've, lately felt more uncomfortable posting things like that mm-hmm. it's things that are more reasonable don't get as much views but I think, it's yeah, true you're, yeah. you're right well it's, it's even true. like the, I reposted this tweet the other day and it was like I didn't realize that this account was satire because it's so believable it's mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. what did it say let me read it it says my wife and I removed all clocks from our home I have one watch that I wear so I can continue to tell the time she can ask me the time whenever but it grows her reliance on me as the head and husband to keep her and the family in order yep I've seen this tweet and it's been reposted even on Facebook now I've Mm -hmm. seen it multiple times I don't think a lot of people know that it's satire but we don't think it's real but so like at first I had posted it as if it was real and then Someone had met someone I and I really appreciate them calling me out like this. They Mm -hmm. sent a message Mm -hmm. and they're like, hey, like, I like your content, but like, you're just as bad as the other side. If you're just like Mm. posting like clickbaity stuff like this and you're not even taking the time to be honest about like what it is, like you're making the other side look bad. And I was like, 
thank you. And then I like took down the post and then I like, I posted mm. later saying I posted this as if it wasn't satire and it actually was. And like, mm. I really do think like the content that we're doing matters. And it, it is so easy to get caught up in the dopamine rush that you get from, oh, there's more likes and there's more likes. And, and it's so there, like it is a real neurological effect, but mm. when you come down to it, just like we're losing our humanity in that because mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. I do have the ability to, whether it's a family member or a friend that I don't agree with, like to have conversations and to maintain relationships. Mm-hmm. And, and those are things that are really important to me because like, not everyone's going to have the same views as you and we have to figure out how to coexist. But I think social media makes it pretty damn hard. Yeah. Well, and it's cause we know for a fact, there's data around this that like, if you're a news outlet, what was the phrase? It was like, if it's blood or there's like, like tears or whatever, or sex, like you're, it's going to get views. And so, which is, unfortunately like the Mm -hmm. data supports that but then it's the question of like so me as a marketer this is like a data point that i came into contact with like i love testing everything and there was an image that we were talking about some service that we offer that i work for and the most the highest performing ad was a white woman and we did all these different like gender expressions and races and it was a white woman that performed the highest and i had a like attention so i mean it's like do i produce content that's going to look exactly like this and because I know it's going to perform better or do I sacrifice the lack of clicks because I think it's more important that people Mm. see diversity and it's like those tensions of like ah I'm torn between I really want to get my message out there but then our message now gets lost because our message is artificial that's a very good point and Sarah and I really do try to strike a balance between like yeah, of course we are ex-Christians and we're calling out these institutions that deserve to be called out. It's important. But the individuals that aren't harming anybody and maybe Mm -hmm. just need to be a bit more educated on their beliefs and Mm -hmm. just need to be a little more accepting shouldn't take the brunt of this. That's sometimes what we're doing. So yeah, it's just been, it's been difficult. It's been an interesting journey. It's hard because it's true. It's like, if you have the person sitting across from you, how many of us would actually say what we're saying to that person, especially to, to your point, Jess, where it's like most of these people, and I have a firm belief in this, that even the people up in the top, like, I think the the issue is the systems that people are a part of, not necessarily the actual people. I think most people have good intentions. Yes, I think most people do too. And even as someone that's like, I wasn't the head pastor of a church, but I was further up and I saw how that system affected me in a negative way as well, where it's like, I had this huge pressure to feel like I had to perform a certain way I was way more isolated because people had this idea of like I'd pastor at the front of my name so it's like I was more quote-unquote holy which is also problematic because we're all the fucking Mm. same and then you get like (laughs) when it comes to especially which is my flavor non-denominational evangelical charismatic spaces you have most of the time a fucking narcissist up at the top who isn't responsible to a denomination to anyone Unless there are apostles. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no, did we strike a nerve? I just the church I was part of was apostolic. And I just think that so many you you have this system that rewards charismatic narcissistic people. And so even if they're not quite that way, just like me on TikTok, I'm not always like a clap back sassy person. I am, but I'm not as loud as I'm realizing on TikTok, but I'm in this, I'm caught up in the current of TikTok. I'm caught up in the structure and system that I'm in. And I think a ton of fucking pastors end up in that space. Like I think about the most recent 
Hillsong documentary. And I think of the pastor specifically for New York City. And I'm like, here's this young kid who wanted attention and love, who got spun up and was able to be easily manipulated. And he is a product of the system. He still has to own up to his fuck ups. Like, I don't think just because like, I need to own the fact that like, in Berlin, there were two times that I fucking said from a microphone, Jesus can save you from homosexuality. I pray to God or whatever the fuck is beyond me that like no one heard me. But like <laughs> if someone slid into my DMs and was just like, I heard you and I wrestled with this for like years, I need to take fucking ownership of that shit, even though I was mm-hmm. a part of a system that was perpetuating it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't make me not culpable. But like I think that there's so many systems that we are caught up in that are hurting people at the top and at the bottom. And with that in mind, I'm trying. it's hard but like engaging with people as fucking humans when I'm using a shiny light to engage with them and that's all that it is instead of an actual human being in front of me so I'll get off my soapbox (laughs) oh no stay on (laughs) but that's why I think that's why it's like having the podcast it's nice because we of course are posting memes and all kinds of things on our general page and a lot of people that are there might not even know we're a podcast because they're just like liking Mm -hmm. posts but I think getting back to humanity and having conversations with people and talking about people's experience, I think yeah. that is the great unifier. Just being like, oh, we all have these common emotions. We all have these common mm-hmm. desires. We all want to be seen and loved and feel like we have yeah. meaning. And that's why religion exists. Like if we look at it from yeah. an evolutionary yeah, perspective, absolutely. right? Like yep. we all want to connect with something bigger than us, whether, I mean, I'm not going to go as far and say we all the God-shaped hole, but like we all do have that need for some sort of we all have a hole i don't know what shape it is but it's it's or multiple holes and a few holes yeah and some of us want different genders to fill it to fill those holes (laughs) or not (laughs) (laughs) but it's true and when you start attacking people for their beliefs there's this defensiveness because they don't want they need their hole filled i'm sorry i just you know they (laughs) need their hole filled and they have filled their hole with this and how, like, yeah. who am I to tell, who am I to tell somebody that they can't believe in this? It's just, it, there's the fine line between respecting someone's belief while saying like, this part of your belief is dangerous. You need to reevaluate this. And then just yeah. straight up telling somebody like, you shouldn't be a Christian because some things in Christianity are problematic. So how do you find that middle ground? We started this podcast. Mm-hmm. We were just like sassy and we still do silly things like that. And we like dunk on Ken Ham and shit like that. But there have been a lot of things that I've said on the podcast that I definitely wouldn't say now. And it's only been a year. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes culturally, like we're at the point where certain evangelicals or I think we tolerate homophobia more than we do racism, more than we do mm-hmm. sexism at this point. It goes in obviously like waves of progress and sexuality and gender identity. These are things that are not protected in a lot of countries. And even in countries where they are protected, there's still a lot of homophobia, a lot of transphobia. And I think mm-hmm. that we are more likely to be like, oh, well, that's that's their belief. If that church won't provide a service to someone because of their sexuality, it's because that's freedom of religion. But we wouldn't have the same view if it was like they won't perform an interracial marriage. I know for a fact we wouldn't. And I this is something I struggle with, like how much intolerance I will tolerate knowing that full well if it was if you compare it to like race or um like men versus women male female roles Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be the same thing well and I think that's one thing where it the conversation has to go back to there's two things I would say is one so many people when they're having these conversations especially right now around trans rights they don't have a single trans individual in their life and 
I think that like to come back to like the idea of podcasts versus like social media is like there's a connection happening here. Like there's a conversation happening here and it changes the medium of what comes out of our mouths and how we engage with something versus like a sassy little tweet. And I think that people's lack of contact with that difference and they're pulling themselves away with it because of their beliefs, which is where beliefs can be like, I do actually care about what your beliefs if it affects your behavior and it is with a lot of these people and so that's where i start caring about beliefs but then two i would say that like most christians have been taught to disregard a lot of science that shows that sexuality is a part of personhood because you can't see the fact that i'm like on my skin necessarily a queer body then we can disregard it's also like if you think about it it's very similar with how a lot of christian spaces some of them are changing their opinions about it, but around mental health, where it's like, you can't see it. Mm. So therefore you just, you need to pray more. You need to do this, you need to do that. But when I can't change your skin tone, now it's like, well, shoot, I guess I do have to reconcile my problematic beliefs of a couple hundred years when it comes to race versus like now I, I'm being empowered with stories that like, well, this ex-gay story. So really it can't be personhood because this person changed. You don't identify with your sin this is a sin problem, not a person problem. And I'm over here being like, I was a good Christian for a quarter century of my life. And I tried my hardest to try to change this and would cry myself to sleep at night, praying that this would change. So you're telling me that I just didn't pray hard enough. Like you spend even a couple months in a queer teen's body and mind and i guarantee you a lot of straight men would be in fucking tears how much do you think this is just complete lack of empathy for others like you can't put yourself in anyone else's shoes because we're all programmed to be so individualistic it's hard to see the commonality between all of us and i don't know how to make people do that which i think is just like you know if you just take time there are there we all want connection and love which that's a big one for me i remember the first time I was wrestling with my sexuality. I was like, maybe I'm supposed to be like celibate, like these other, that organizations bumped into. Yeah. Yeah, Like maybe that's where I should exist. And I bumped into an older straight man, white straight man, cis man, was a pastor for 30 years in Christian Missionary Alliance. And his son came out as gay. And I learned that. And I'm just like, I need to talk to him. Like he's been in the Bible and he is a pastor and I respect him more, blah, 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 blah. So I had all these like opinions for why I should meet with him. I sit down with him and he said two things that changed my world. One was when my son came out, I thought to myself, maybe I'm wrong. And I'm just like, you are in your fucking fifties at this point and had been a pastor for 20 years. And you had the audacity in a good way to ask maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not right. Like the amount of times, like we could maybe avoid a hard conversation by simply acknowledging that was the first thing. But then number two, this sort of goes back to like what we have in common. And he said, Brandon, I don't think there's anything wrong with you wanting connection and intimacy. Every human wants that. Why is that a bad thing? And I'm just sitting over here, like crying, just being like, I don't know why it's a bad thing. You know, like when you get down to below that initial difference even when our differences there is a commonality that we are sharing because we're all human even in our opposing views on social media we're screaming at each other you get even below that where we are blowing up and we are so quote-unquote different you look just one layer below that someone is wanting to feel safe in what they believe and that they are right and that they can trust what they believe because what they believe offers them community it offers them 
a sense of security for eternity. Like there's a lot of things that just one level lower, deeper, and we're all on the same page. Well, interesting that you say that because that's why I feel like a lot of people come into our page and like they hate us because they mm. think that we are attacking that feeling that they have. And yeah. I don't think anybody's yeah. crazy for believing in God, but I think it's crazy that you are being hateful you know that just mm -hmm. the step beyond mm -hmm. but if you take a step back and if you just realize that then this is going to be a different conversation but i have a question and it's something that's been weighing on my mind for a few days and i figured it might be mm -hmm. a good time to ask somebody somebody dm'd us and said jesus loves you you're all wrong and blah 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 and so i went to their profile because sometimes i just i'm like who are you you're a 15 year old boy from missouri exactly yeah correct <laughs> yeah there's so many times where I get into an argument and I should have looked at their profile because I'm just like, I'm arguing with a child. This is stupid. There this was one so that was grad <laughs> class of 2027. You're like, that's even a grad year for like high school. <laughs> um, so I didn't see when they graduated, but I'm assuming that they were in high school. But in their bio, it said, the only good in me is Jesus. Mm. And that just that phrase, I've been thinking about it for like four days. I'm not even kidding. I'm like, the mm. only good in me is Jesus. And there's people, teenagers that are growing up thinking that so is that something that you thought mm -hmm. and you Sarah too mm -hmm. I don't remember ever thinking that but I'm sure I did but how did you deconstruct that you want to take this one first Brandon <laughs> <laughs> I'll say yeah, I've been talking a lot you want you to go first Sarah and I can jump in after okay I think for me that this whole like the flesh is bad it's like this false goal it's like this false humility that it creates mm -hmm. within people that are like so self-absorbed because I can just think of people growing up especially people in positions of power that were like it's all God like none of me and they would pray like oh, yes yeah. Lord yes Lord please like anything I want all of you we mm -hmm. would sing songs like that we would yep. like I don't want to be anything I am nothing my flesh is awful and I think mm -hmm. when you look at like Romans 7 Romans 8 that is what Paul was wrestling with he was like my soul my spirit I don't want to do these things but then my flesh goes and does them and he's like I like I want all of Jesus and none of me and so I think that we've talked about this before and that creates this body mind disconnect and it also makes you not trust yourself and then the only thing that you're allowed to trust is the biblical interpretation being taught by the leaders of your church and their theology and so I think that's why when I was deconstructing or wrestling with certain things in the Bible, I always conveniently found like a camp of Christians that supported like, okay, they're egalitarian or they're Christian feminists. And then like, mm -hmm. it becomes okay to live with that tension until you have genocide. Cause like, <laughs> there's no, like, there are some things that I, I don't know what kind of I've dances and hoops you jump yeah. through to be able to like justify it. Yeah. It's the old Testament God, Sarah. This yeah. Is different. Then, but God different. doesn't change. But so it makes total sense. So none yeah. of it makes none of it makes sense. <laughs> What's really interesting for me is like this schism of the body being bad and the spirit mm -hmm. or soul being good i i would in a space where they would even say the soul is good they'd say just the spirit is good which is like this thing you can't even really like access and it's interesting for me because it comes like that idea comes from gnosticism which like even mm -hmm. paul which i'm not the biggest fan of oh you don't like paul that's so weird <laughs> so weird paul has some blood on his hands but like i think that even him would say that like was coming against and arguing against Gnosticism and it's just very interesting that 
this belief system. Some of the early individuals of the church, like they, they were fighting against this belief and they wanted to fight against like the body being bad. And so like, I would even push back. So I like to use with Christians, I really like using their weapon against them. But like, even if it's for yourself, where it's like, maybe you can't step away from this text because it's been so important, use it then. And so like, for me, I would say like, even in the Bible, it says that Jesus isn't just coming he's coming back to create bodies again like there's nothing in the bible that says we're going to be ethereal mist spirits floating for all eternity that's nowhere in the text instead like for christians it was super important to be buried with the body with the head yes you can't get cremated (laughs) you can't get cremated you can't be beheaded because that body is going to be resurrected and so we've been we've left that relationship to the body but for literally centuries there has been an intimate connection to the body and that it is good then i would point you to ezekiel 36 which is like even in the old testament like there's this promise that i would say if we're looking again through a biblical lens blah 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 <laughs> like it was fulfilled in jesus and that you were given a new heart because jesus says i will create a new covenant we can get into like stupid theology later but it's unimportant unless it serves you and i'd say if this is serving you fucking take it and so i would point to the text and say even the text affirms that you are good Jesus, not Jesus, God, Genesis 1, humanity was made and it was called very good when they became bodily form. And so for me, that was important because I couldn't leave the text quite yet. So before I even left the text, there was this understanding that like, no, like I believe, and this is where I was living in that gay Christian space for a bit. It's like, I believe that what my heart wants is not bad. I believe that like sex is not bad. So like if the text is serving you, I would say that it's there. It's for you. This is not what's in the text to hate your body to hate your sexuality i think this would be interesting to talk about is the i feel like whether it's because of purity culture and women are not referred to as like we're referred to as emotional and men are visual and like (laughs) i think women within the church our sexuality is so repressed that like i was not that kid in 2002 that like realized my sexuality like it took me a really really long time to realize that i was gay because i thought that if you could tolerate having sex with a man, then that was like as good as it got. As somebody who is heterosexual, that's what I thought too. Yeah. I And it was just because I wasn't having sex with the right person and the right man. And once I started having sex with somebody that I actually wanted to have sex with, I was like, well, this is really different. And, and the narrative is all wrong. We've talked about like how much I hate yeah. like sex starting when the dick goes in and finishing when the man comes. Like it's this, it's, it's yeah, I know. Yeah. It's such a fucking <laughs> heteronormative. It's misogynistic is what it is. Yeah. Totally. And until, until Sarah and I started talking more about it after she came out and said that to me, I was like, what the fuck? You're right. Like I would never have thought about that. Okay. Let's wrap up. So yeah. that was amazing. This has been so fun. So can you plug what you want for our audience and tell them where they can find you, please? Absolutely. So yes, if you're curious to learn more about me, go ahead and go to brandonflannery.com. Flannery only has one N because I had a drunk ancestor that left one out for some reason. Or you can go to at Flannery on Instagram or TikTok find me in those places my the big thing is if you want to like see me like talk about some things at length definitely check out my book it's called stumbling a sassy memoir about coming out of evangelicalism sarah was talking about it so if you trust her and her taste you can 
go buy it. So you can buy that at brandonflannery.com as well. But that's where all the things are. And if you want to read more about like my research and publications with what I'm doing outside of that, you can also find all that there as well. The end. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so, so much. much. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. I know. It was so fun. I feel like we could just go for drinks right now. Like I know. Do you guys want to go get some mimosas? That'd be great. I would love to go for drinks with y'all. That'd be so much yeah. fun. <laughs> that sounds great. Awesome. I would love that. Okay. We love you. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 See you. Get to heaven.